Hello and welcome to Bright Wings, children's books to make the heart soar. I am your host, Charity Hill. The purpose of this conversation is to help mothers and fathers identify books that will liberate their children to embrace truth, goodness, and beauty. I want to reflect on the value of fairy tales. For some time, my thinking about fairy tales fell along two kind of opposite interpretations. The first interpretation I had was that fairy tales were fluffy, wishful, dreamy, and not very substantive. Then my second notion about fairy tales was that they're too violent, dark, or even patriarchal for my children. Welcome to the great debate surrounding fairy tales. If you look on the internet and simply search fairy tales, you will get conflicting opinions, strong ones, on both sides of whether to read fairy tales to your children or not. This is one case where I wouldn't advocate that you go back to the original source. I found out that the Brothers Grimm's first work of fairy tales was actually written for adults, and it's not something that you should read to children. They made it a second edition of fairy tales, this time for children some years later, and it sold far better than their adult fairy tales. Hopefully, as discerning parents or parents who are learning to be discerning, you understand. I don't have to shout, A, because it would hurt your ears, and B, because you probably already know this, but let me just say loud and clear that not every tale is for every kid. I was talking with a friend and both of us had the same experience with our first child that they were both these little girls were so innocent of evil and we wanted to keep it that way that we didn't even want to read fairy tales to them. But I think children can sense more than we think. When I think about my disposition towards fairy tales when my oldest was little, I think about this quote now from C.S. Lewis that I've heard. Since it is so likely that children will meet cruel enemies... Let them at least have heard of brave knights and heroic courage. Not reading fairy tales to my child isn't going to protect her. The question is, how do I equip her? I want to share with you five reasons why I think fairy tales are worth reading. Fairy tales communicate the triumph of good over evil. They show us that cleverness counts. They tell us that companionship matters in adventure. They give us a basic framework for characterization, and they show us what resilience looks like. In the universe of the fairy tale, there's always the ultimate triumph of good over evil. It's a principle of the universe. And a violent end is a clear-cut consequence for evil. Bad things happen to the bad people. The good people live happily ever after. At the end of Snow White, the evil witch queen comes to the wedding of Snow White and her prince and they've heated slippers in an oven and she has to dance until she falls down dead. That's some serious payback. But often there's a strong sense of mercy in fairy tales. For example, we see in Cinderella, she forgives her stepsisters and gives them a place in her kingdom. After all, she was as good as she was beautiful. In this, we see the power and the triumph of good over evil. When we see mercy rather than vengeance or justice, this forgiveness seems to be a development in our mythology, in our understanding of good, and the kind of stories that we aspire to. 
Also, I think it's helpful to point out that some fairy tales are simply very strange and quite odd. The best way I have of describing them is that they're a kind of meditation on the mystery of evil. Why do good men suffer? And why do evil men prosper? We walk around with this question in our life, but it wouldn't be a question if we didn't somehow think that goodness deserves something. If we didn't walk around with the principle of justice inside us, this problem of evil wouldn't bother us. Fairy tales teach our children to think about this through fiction. Reason number two why fairy tales are worth reading is that cleverness counts. A daring cleverness is sometimes crucial to overcoming an evil person or an unjust structure, such as an enchantment. And cleverness definitely counts when you're trying to overcome an inheritance problem, such as the miller's son in Puss in Boots. Hansel and Gretel survive because of their cleverness. Fairy tales have a very strong sense of the meaningfulness of human action, and I love that. You have to do things just right in order to be freed from the enchantment. Small things like leaving a trail of crumbs might just save your life. Or, for example, in The Princess and the Frog, being someone who keeps her word might pay off. And getting over being squeamish about having a frog in your bed might be an important step. Principle number three is that companionship counts. You never try to free yourself from an, an enchantment by yourself. It always requires the presence of another, and it usually requires the presence of someone who loves you. You're never liberated from your troubles by facing them alone. Think of Puss in Boots, Sleeping Beauty, The Seven Dancing Princesses, Cinderella, The Princess and the Frog, Little Red Riding Hood, Hansel and Gretel. In each of these stories, companionship counts. The protagonist would never be freed from the evil that they're suffering by their own power. The fourth quality of fairy tales that I think makes them worth reading is it helps our children develop a basic understanding of characterization. I'll grant you that characterization is typically somewhat flat. There's not a lot of changing in the character of fairy tale personalities. However, it's a basic characterization of what I would call a type. And I think these types are helpful. They're a helpful way to begin understanding characterization. Subtlety and nuance and mixed motives can develop later. We see certain types of adults who can't be counted on, such as the evil stepmother or the neglectful father or the evil step-siblings. Sometimes we see the pleaser or the fool who succeeds because he dares to step out of his expected context. I think it's helpful for children to see these types so that they can recognize them in their own lives. Sadly, I'm sure that we all have one of these cliches in our own life. How hard it is not to have an untroubled relationship with your stepchildren. How many of us know a stepfather who never managed to connect with his stepson? This connects with our fifth reason why I think fairy tales are worth reading, which is resilience. We need these tales of resilience. Because life can be dreadfully unfair and things go wrong, really wrong. And adults who should have your best interests at heart sometimes don't. Again, since it is so likely that children will meet cruel enemies, let them at least have heard of brave knights and heroic courage. How do we teach resilience? 
How do we protect innocence and yet promote resilience? The mother I was talking to said she thought she could have done her daughter a disservice by not exposing her to more of the slightly more grim fairy tales. She said, they teach us that we can overcome. You can't find inspiration from people who've never faced obstacles. And it's been said before, but fairy tales allow our children to consider the dark parts of our world in a safe place, knowing that at the end of the tale, all will be well. All will be very well indeed, because fairy tales end with, and they lived happily to the end of their days. That communicates hope. It communicates that there's a definitive end to evil. And it communicates usually that it's usually it's love that makes the characters beyond the reach of evil. Action against darkness, action against difficult circumstances is really only possible, I think, when you have this virtue of hope, when you have some idea that your action can affect change. Our children learn that you can take action against bad circumstances, and these circumstances can end. I think fairy tales can be really crucial in helping our children develop this recognition. I think resilience is possible when we believe that a happy ending is possible. I think it's worth pointing out that the appeal of fairy tales can be really broad. Lately, I was surprised to discover that our son, who is six, really enjoys the fairy tale, The Twelve Dancing Princesses. When I stop to think about it, it's really not that surprising. It's a really good tale. The version we have is told by Mariana Mayer, and it's illustrated by K.Y. Craft. It's robustly beautiful, full of lovely young ladies in it, but I'm not sure that that's what really attracts him to it. I think he's attracted by the actions of the intervening Peter, the young farmer who becomes a gardener at the castle, who discovers the secret of these 12 sisters. The sisters go every night to an enchanted land. First, they go willingly and willfully into this circumstance where they dance all night long and feast. Every night they dance and feast and wear out their slippers. They're kind of trapped in a lovely but deadly cycle. They can't seem to resist dancing. And in order to dance, they need dance partners, which means they ensnare the young princes who come to discover their secret. And they enchant these unsuspecting fellows at the feast. These young men are then their kind of dancing puppets. They're dancing slaves. Peter follows them for three nights in a row. He's in love with the youngest sister. And because he has discovered a plant, a flower that makes him invisible, he overhears their plan to entrap him also. The youngest sister, Elise, begins to be in love with him too. When Peter decides that he's going to allow himself to become enchanted so that he can continue to be with Elise, So he kind of walks into the situation knowing that he's laying down his life and he raises his cup to drink the enchanted wine. Elise cannot bear the loyalty to her sister's scheme any longer. She casts the cup aside out of Peter's hand and this breaks the enchantment. The story reads, as though shaken from a trance, the entire group rose up in astonishment. The princess's icy hearts melted and they were themselves once more. Filled with sudden relief, the sisters embraced each other and quickly they all made ready to leave. They leave this shadow land, this land of enchantment, where they're sort of a slave to their desires, where their humanity is reduced and the humanity of their dancing partners. I think my son loves the beauty of this book, but he also loves Peter's 
willingness to follow his dream to go and work at the castle. I think he loves the way Peter is humble and strong, the way he uses his strength to intervene in this situation. I think my son also admires the way that Peter is willing to, in a certain sense, die for Elise. And I love that in this telling, Elise also saves Peter from from the terrible fate that he's about to choose. And I love that it's the little sister who liberates all her big sisters from this trap that they at first chose but now can't get out of. The Twelve Dancing Princesses is a helpful example because it shows all those characteristics that I think are so positive about fairy tales, all those characteristics that I think make them worth reading. So in it, we see the ultimate triumph of good over evil. Um, We see that cleverness counts. Peter is so clever. We see, too, how companionship matters to overcoming the evil situation. And we see the characterization. This book has a little bit more characterization than maybe your typical fairy tale. And we see the beautiful resilience that life can be unfair, that things can go wrong. You can be trapped by your own bad choices. And yet, yet this isn't the end of the story. It's just the middle. With companionship, love, and courage, cleverness, these difficulties can be overcome. I think that's a really good message. Of course, the caveat that not all stories are for every child. Not all versions of the tale are ones you want to tell. But it's a beautiful message. And it doesn't surprise me that some of the most beautifully illustrated books are fairy tales. It corresponds. There's so much light. There's so much symbolism and color packed into the drama of fairy tales. And before I close out, I have a couple of things I want to say about patriarchy, feminism, and fairy tales. There's a narrative out there that says that fairy tales are really uh, written by men for how they want women to behave. That's a really inaccurate narrative. Fairy tales are women's tales. They're tales that women told to each other and women told to their children as they were doing work with their hands or when they were sitting around the fire in the evenings. They're tales about what women fear. They're tales about what women hope for, for themselves and for their children. When the Grimm brothers were writing down their stories in Germany, they had six different women that they consulted as sources for their tales. And Andrew Lang, who wrote the red, yellow, green, blue, and rose-colored fairy story books, was heavily dependent on his wife and a series of female editors. Anne Thario from thetoast.net writes, That as time went on, Wilhelm Grimm added all sorts of hints about what he thought women should be occupying themselves with. In earlier drafts of Snow White, she was only asked by the dwarves when they took her in to cook. And in later drafts, it was inserted that she should cook and clean and sew and knit and sweep and keep things neat and clean. Thario infers that this is simply patriarchy at work. I simply infer that the demands on women had increased. And they're still telling their tale. Snow White has escaped from the witch queen, but her life is not easy. And women are talking about the new demands in detail. I don't think there's any need to see patriarchy at work there. Thoreau complains that where once the women were described simply as beautiful and young, they're now being described as tender-hearted, sweet, or God-fearing. I think Thoreau misses that when these tales were emerging, they were emerging during the time of minstrelsy, while things that were beautiful were good. 
they corresponded together, the beautiful and the good. When fairy tales were born in the Middle Ages, you wouldn't describe something as evil and beautiful. That wasn't a possible combination. As time went on and the stories were written down and republished, there was a need to fill out what beautiful meant, which is why some books describe Cinderella as as good as she was beautiful, as I mentioned earlier. I think it's unfair to think that fairy tales are some kind of guidebook about how women were expected to behave and that we should fear them for imposing some outmoded cultural ideal on our daughters. I think it's not hard to find the beating heart of a woman behind these stories, a heart that seeks to outwit the troubles that beset it and, good heavens, is actually going to cooperate with a man for her own liberation. Because in the words of John Mayer, baby, everything's better when we're together. I'm no expert, but isn't it Carl Jung who says that the male principle is this factor that comes in from the outside to alter a situation? Fairy tales get this right. But another thing fairy tales get right is that women are not deprived of agency at all. For Exhibit A on this topic, I invite you to check out Princess Furball, a very strange tale, the version written by Charlotte Huck and illustrated by Anita Lobel. A young lady coming from a very disturbing situation triumphs over it with a great deal of creativity and resilience. I sympathize with this feminist concern, but I can't fully validate it. I think fairy tales are really symbolic of so many human experiences. And they win because they triumph on feminism's same criteria, the criteria of experience. Marianna Mayer is the author of The Twelve Dancing Princesses and many other fairy tales. In an interview, she said something very similar to what we're saying today. She says, I see folk tales and myths as humankind's first stories. They are a kind of collective dreaming filled with timeless symbols and images we can all relate to, regardless of age or culture. And much as an oyster must be disturbed by a grain of sand in order for the pearl to be created, I often choose to retell stories in which I find unresolved fragments that are somehow perplexing to me. She goes on to say, I'm striving to reach out to that spirit of wonder within us all. The stories I was told as a child, those half-remembered folktales and myths, have become the foundation for what I continue to work on in my books. The sense of hope that books instilled in me as a child, saw me through many difficult times. Because of this, I choose characters who face overwhelming odds, but triumph through courage and perseverance. Similarly, myth allows a child to believe in his or her own dreams and can instill a boundless hope for the future. Thank you for hearing me out. Thank you for thinking with me about how fairy tales can shape your child, how they can form him in a beautiful hope, in a beautiful resilience, can shape their imagination with the possibility of responding to evil creatively and with resilience. It's no wonder that a genre of literature such as this should have some of the most luminous and gorgeous illustrations. If you go to our website, Bright Wings Children's Books, and find the tab labeled book lists, you'll see those that I've chosen. My oldest daughter saw them and she described the illustrations as luscious. I love that. So you can check out our book lists there. 
and you can read further in the blog a reflection by Amanda Knapp, who I've interviewed and who is a blogger for us occasionally. I encourage you to check us out on Instagram and continue some of the conversation and learning there. If you haven't done so yet, I'd love it if you would please click over and rate our podcast if you have found it helpful. May you live happily ever after. Until next time.